Corinthians 12, starting with the second half of verse 31, and we'll be reading through the entire chapter 13. If you're using a Blue Pew Bible, this can be found on page 959. Again, the passage is 1 Corinthians 12, 31b through chapter 13. Please stand in honor of God's holy and inerrant word. And I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, good morning, church. Uh, let me pray once more as we begin. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have to say, the beauties of your word. The depths of your glory through this word. And would you help us to see just who you are? And we pray, Spirit, that you would preach a better sermon than, than we're about to hear here. Praise in Jesus' name. All right, this is the love chapter. Uh, if you guys pretty familiar with this chapter? Uh, when it comes to the chat, when it comes to this love chapter, First uh, Corinthians thirteen, it reminds us of. Probably wedding ceremonies, right? Um, I mean, I remember watching this one clip of a show. Uh, there was a couple that was trying to plan their wedding ceremony, and uh, they're, they're planning with their friends, and they're trying to—they're sitting around trying to figure out, hey, what should we include in our ceremony? Uh, and one of their friends suggests, oh yeah, what, what about that passage from the Bible? And then, and then the groom actually goes on to recite First Corinthians uh, chapter thirteen, I think, just for, verses four through seven. Um, 
surprisingly, because this is, they're, not, they're not believers, but he recites it. He recites it beautifully, right? He recites it, love is patient, love is kind, and, and it's just, I, I can't do it. I can't do it justice. But the way he recited, recited it was just, it was so melodious and so beautiful, but, um, and you would have thought for sure, like, man, if they just had someone read it, read 1 Corinthians 13 like that, they would include it in their service, um, and it's, like, it's almost like the perfect wedding passage. Um, but actually, the whole group then goes, nah, we're not going to include it in this, right? And, um, but, but when it comes to the, this passage in 1 Corinthians 13, um, that's our first inclination, right? When we, when we kind of think of this, we think of this passage in that beautiful, um, just a lovely, beautiful poem kind of tone. Uh, but the thing is, that's not Paul's tone here. Uh, this is not what, this is uh, what Paul is trying to do and how Paul is saying this is not that kind of beautiful tone that he's trying to, that, that we usually think of. And don't get me wrong, if you had this uh, passage read at your wedding, that's totally okay, right? It's totally okay. Um, and and, and may, maybe, maybe Paul would have had that tone. Maybe Paul would have used this tone, uh, this beautiful tone, um, if the church in Corinth was, you know, if they actually exemplified love. But they didn't. The church did not exemplify um, what, how love was described here. So it's been said over and over. And as we've been going through Corinthians, it's been said over and over that there was division in the church. There was division in the church. And, and one of the main reasons that there was division in the church was because it wasn't loving. They weren't a loving church. Uh, and so this called for Paul's harsh word tone with them. Um, he says, love is patient and love is kind. But you're not. And he says, he says you're, you're so easily irritated by each other. You, you, he says, you're arrogant. You're not looking out for each other. You're, 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 the, you're, the only thing you're doing is that you're looking out for yourself. You're looking out for what's best for you. And so what he's saying is, that as we kind of read his passage, that's, Paul, that's Paul's tone. He's saying, you're not loving so at the end of chapter 12, if we, as, as Dina just read, uh, if we know Paul, if you look at it, Paul says, I will show you a more excellent way. And, and you know, the Corinthians, they, they sought out excellence. They sought out excellence. They, they exalted excellence. I mean, if you remember, even through, throughout the whole book of Corinthians, um, they, they sought out, you know, they exalted the ones who could speak well. They, they, they exalted the ones who, who had oratory skills, Right? And, and they thought those with political power was better. Um, they, 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 they thought wealth made someone more respectable. Uh, they believed that, uh, and, and even last week, right, we, we read that um, they believed that if you had the better spiritual gift, then, then they were more spiritually advanced. And that's kind of what Jason, Pastor Jason touched upon last week, right? He, he said the division in the church was caused by people claiming to be more spiritual than others. And they pointed to those spiritual gifts uh, as a sign of their advanced spirituality. So Paul, right here in this passage, he continues by arguing, by arguing you want real advanced spirituality? You want to seek advanced spirituality? You want to seek excellence? And that's going to happen through love. And, and um, an, actual ex, an actual excellence brings unity and flourishing in the church rather than division. 
And so that's kind of where we find ourselves at the beginning of chapter 13, um, where Paul shows him three things about love that would help encourage the unity within the church again. And so you'll see in your outline the power of love, right? Um, the second one, uh, I'm, I'm going to change it right here. It's the purpose of love, okay? So kind of continue on. So if you want to cross out, I think I put results of love. Yeah, so purpose of love. And then the last one, uh, permanence of love to help you kind of follow along what we're doing here. Uh, but the first one, power of love. And so let's look at the first three verses here. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not loved I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and, I have, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver my body to be burned, but if I have not love, I gain nothing. So there are two things that, I, that, that we need to see here first. Two things, first thing that we see is Paul, Paul goes after what, um, the, um, what the Corinthians thought were the super spiritual things. And so he brings up tongues, he, he brings up prophetic powers, uh, he brings up uh, understanding and knowledge. All these things that the Corinthian church, that they were exalting in, in, at that point. And so his point, what Paul was saying, his point was, you can have all of these gifts. You can have all these gifts, but, but, but without love, be powerless and pointless. He shows them. He shows them that their gifts, what, what you thought to be powerful, what you thought to be significant, what you thought to bring advanced spirituality, is actually nothing without love. And so that's the first thing. He, he addresses the highly sought after gifts in the church. And, and here's the thing. Beyond just naming these gifts, what he does is, if anything, if you notice all the examples that Paul brings up all the examples that he brings up, they're, they're, they're way beyond um, the example, uh, they're way beyond what the Corinthians actually had in the church. Um, he, he's actually bringing up hypothetical situations. Uh, they're kind of extreme examples if you look at it. Like, look at the second set that Paul brings up in this passage. Um, if, if you look at verse 2, look at verse 2 with me. He says, if I have prophetic powers... And he, and he says, if I understand all mysteries, and, he, and if I have all knowledge, and not, not even just some faith, but he has all faith, right? He has all faith to, to remove the mountains. And so this is, this is like almost like what he's describing is almost like the ultimate Christian. Like wouldn't we want to be like that? Like we want all understanding. We want prophetic powers. We want, we want all biblical knowledge and all wisdom. And, and we want faith to move mountains. Right? We, we want to see, like this is almost like the ultimate Christian quotes, oxymoron. We want to see that. We want to see that, that with the best, uh, what, what Paul wants to see is that with the best of the best of spiritual gifts, it doesn't matter if you do not have love. It's worthless without love. But the bigger thing is, Paul, he says another thing. He says a second thing here. Not, a, not only is that... Um, that, that, that the, the gifts are worthless and the gifts are powerless. But he says he is nothing. He is nothing. Well, because if you look at this, what, how does Paul respond to this? He says, I am nothing. I gain nothing. So that's a blow to the Corinthians right there. 
He, he, that's a blow to the Corinthians who thought so highly of themselves. I'm so spiritual because I have tongues. I'm so spiritual because I have prophetic powers. No, you are nothing. And that's, the, that's what Paul was getting at. He said, I can have all these things. I can have wisdom and I can have the, you know, prophecy and all wisdom and, and the best of faith. And I am nothing. Paul says, I'm nothing, just, I'm nothing more than an annoying symbol. Like, I'm tempted to go into just the drum cage right now, take out one of these symbols, and start walking up and down the aisles and start banging it. And that's what Paul says he is. I'm sorry, Kirk. And if I were to do that, he'd have, like, set it back up. But that's what it is. He's just, is, like, if I were to do this, walk down this, this, this aisle. Okay, actually, so there was this time at camp. Um, I don't know, maybe some of y'all were there uh, as campers. Uh, this, I think this is probably decamper and impact. I don't remember. But if some of you remember, we had camp at um, Blinn College way back in the day at Blinn College. Um, I don't know why we did this, and I don't think we got in trouble for it. And um, I, I really don't remember the details. I think it might have been like really early in the morning, like 6 a.m. Um, what happened was the music team, we got up early. I don't know why. So that's why I don't think, I'm, I'm thinking maybe it was like late at night. But whatever, regardless of whatever time it is, students were sleeping. And we set up drums right in the middle of the hallway, right? We set up, I don't know why we did this. We set up drums right in the middle of the hallway, everyone's sleeping. You could imagine what was going to happen. First, um, I, think, I think it was uh, Keith Chan, if you know him. He's like, like he's, he's just kind of playing a beat on the toms. And then and all of a sudden, someone plays the snare. And I don't, I don't even remember what happened. But what I do remember was I started taking the cymbal. And I actually did what I was just saying. I started taking the cymbal. And I just started banging it in the middle of the hallways. I don't know why we did this. But what I do remember next, though, because we were filming this, I do remember seeing in the videos kids waking up in the middle of the night or whatever really early looking super groggy. They were looking super groggy, looking super pissed. And they were just like, what is going on here? Why, why is this, like, they're like, why are y'all doing this? Like, we woke them up for no reason, right, just for our pleasure. Uh, future counselors, please don't do that. All right, so, um, but if you think about this, like, this, these kids are like, why are you doing this? Why are you waking up? Why are you clanging these cymbals and for no reason? No one wanted to hear that clanging cymbal at that time. But here's the thing, without love, that's us. Without love, like, like if we have all the prophetic powers and all knowledge and all wisdom, but if we do not love, we are that clanging symbol at 6 a.m. in the morning. That's us. That's what Paul is saying. No one wants to hear us and wants to hear our message. It doesn't matter what our message is. Because, you see, you could be the Christian with most faith. You can be the Christian with the most extensive knowledge of the Bible, and you can be a, you know, you can, you can have so much Bible knowledge, and you can be the best Sunday school teacher in here. You can be super disciplined at getting up at 5 a.m. And, and praying, and you can, I don't know, you maybe you can serve on whatever, like serve on a council, but here's the thing. You can have all those things and be all these things and still be nothing. You would say with Paul, I am nothing without love because what's the point of preaching the good news of the gospel if the way we preach it is turning people away 
We're just a bunch of scammers. We're a bunch of fakes, a bunch of frauds. I mean, that's kind of how the world sees us sometimes. Just a bunch of fakes. You preach the gospel, yet you show love to everyone. I mean, you show hate to everyone. I'm not saying that, that if you don't love, you're not a Christian. But what I'm saying is that if you do not love, you're distorting the gospel. If you do not love, you are just, you're, you're, you're distorting who Jesus is. If you do not love, you're that clanging symbol at, at 6 a.m. in the morning. And our witness, and our witness, not even to non-believers, but even to believers, is useless. If we have no love, because here's the thing, right? Because without love, it's not a witness of who Jesus is. Jesus died. Jesus died for the unity of our church, and yet with no love, it would lead to the division of the church. And that's what we see here. If there's no love, it led to the division of the church in Corinth. So love makes the noisy cymbal and drums into a beautiful beat that drives a song to help believers to worship. Love, it level, I love, love levels the playing field for all of us. There might be some of us who, who feel like, here's the thing, there might be some of us in here who might feel like, you know what, I just can't get it right. So, on the, so instead of seeing yourself as great and seeing, like, exalting yourself, maybe you're, you're on the other side and you're thinking, well, you know what, like, I'm just not as mature as other believers. You know what, like, maybe you're thinking, you know what, I don't have the knowledge and I don't have the discipline of those who are so mature in their faith and who are so smart in their faith, and who are so smart and, and knowledgeable in the Bible. I'm not as strong and I, I still struggle with this and that in my life. And so there are so many more other mature believers who can teach and who are more disciplined. So instead of thinking highly of yourself, you think lowly of yourself, and that's the same thing here. And that's the same thing as thinking that your gift makes you special. So you could be a new believer in here, and you could be someone who's been a Christian for like 40 years. But here's the thing. We can all love the same. Whether you know you've known Jesus for two months or for two decades, we're the same. We have the same power of love in our, to live out. We're all able to pour into each other the same. We're all able to show the same kindness, and, and we're all able to show uh, care for one another. You know, last week, Jason, Pastor Jason, he said, we all have the same importance. But in this week's passage, Paul makes the point that, point, makes the point that you have the same power to make the difference. And that's love. And that's the power of love and that, that, that we need to see. So that's the first thing, the power of love. And the second thing that we need to see is the purpose of love. The purpose of love. And, and so let's read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, right? And so love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or, or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So we have the power of love, and the second is the purpose of love. And what is that purpose? The purpose, um, the purpose is to draw the sinner near. The, the, the purpose of love is to draw the sinner near. And so follow me, uh, as, to, to follow me for a bit to see how I got there. 
So verses four through seven, what I just read, verses four through seven, it seems like there's a list, right? There's a list of what love looks like. And, and where I'm not actually gonna go through the list one by one, but what you do need to know about this list of what love looks like is uh, this is actually a list of, of uh, uh, um, actually the opposite of what the Corinthian church was like. So again, remember the tone Paul uses um, to, to address the Corinthians. Uh, it, it's, a strong, it's a strong tone of you don't possess any of this. You don't possess this love. This is not you. Right, I, I, one of the, one of the um, books I was reading, it says, you know, even though we, we see here, Corinthians, love does not envy, it's not arrogant, but the Corinthian church was, was full of jealousy. And we, we see that in uh, chapter three, verse three. Uh, you know, it, the, the church was full of boasting, chapter four and chapter four, verse six. And the church was, was arrogant. And then all throughout, and there's a lot of different passages we see that the church was jealous, that had a lot of jealousy and, and boasting and arrogance. Love is not rude, but the Corinthian church, it was, it was shameful and indecent, right? And the, but the one point here, though, is no church is immune to such temptation. We, therefore, need God's pardoning, trans, pardoning, transforming, and sustaining grace that we may follow this more excellent way of love. Even though this list was about the Corinthian church, this list is about us as well. We don't look at this pass. Don't look at this passage, and we don't look at the church in Corinthians and go, "Yeah, that they had big problems." No, this this is us. The Corinthian church, the the Corinthians, that uh, they uh, they needed to experience this kind of love listed here in chapter thirteen, and that's exactly what they they received in in, in their life. So again, this was another blow to those who were arrogant. This is another blow. The, the, the list in, in chapter 13, verse 4 through 7, it was, a, it was a blow to those who were arrogant because it was saying, hey, you're not that way. You're not as highly as you think. You're, you're not as, you know, don't exalt yourself because you're not like that. But at the same time, this also gave hope for the arrogant. You have these spiritual gifts you who think highly of yourselves, you're, you're still in love. You're still, you're still a sinner in need of the love right here. You're still a sinner who needs uh, the love that is listed here in chapter 13. And what he's saying here is, you're, what, what, you, even though you lack this love, you need to experience this love. And that's for us. Even though we lack these things, and if you lack these things, we need to experience these things first. I hope you guys understand. I hope you guys understand in 1 Corinthians 13, this is what we experience through Christ every single day. This is what we experience in Christ every single hour and every single moment of our lives. Like 1 Corinthians 4 through 7 is what, what, what Christ lavishes on us every single day. And I'll be honest with you, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I still let my, the way I acted this week, the way I went through this week, I still let that kind of, um, kind of affect the way I sing, uh, you know, sing during, during uh, music worship time. You know, I, you know, if I had a good week, yeah, I'll sing more freely. If I had a good week, I, I'll be like, oh yeah, I think my words are pretty honest this week and I feel pretty good about myself. I don't know if you guys are like that, but, but you know, I, I let how good I was affect the way I am and affect my relationship with, with, with God and, and how, how much I can approach him and how freely I can approach him. Or on the flip side, I'll affect, I'll, 
I'll let how I act, and if I was bad that week, or if I just, man, if I just didn't get it right this week, man, I'm just gonna, you know, I just don't feel close with God. Why would God even love me? Or I just, I just gotta wait it out. You ever feel that? It's like, oh, I'll, 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 I'll wait it out till I feel better about my sin, and, and God, I can be closer with God. I don't know if that, I don't know if that's you, but that's definitely how, how my mind works sometimes. But here's the thing. But my, uh, my mindset coming in here each and every week should be, God, you put up with so much. You, you put up so, with, with so much with me this week. You, you put up so much. So thank you for allowing me to come here, come in here. You know, like, like, like God, I am a, a complete and utter mess. It doesn't matter how good I was this week, but it, it, we come in here thinking and believing. We are a complete, utter mess, and it is Christ who picks, us, picks up after us each and every, every day. One quick little confession between song number one and song number two. It's not, it's not enough to express how much God has forgiven me this week. So we see how much Christ, so we, so we have to see how much Christ, how much Christ, um, how much love Christ has for us sinners. You have to see how much God has forgiven you of this week. And how much he still loves you this week. And how much he still loves you in this moment, despite what he have done this week. Because if, if love draws us near to Christ, if love draws us near to Christ each and every day, then love must draw the sinners like you and me to each other, instead of pushing other sinners away. The purpose of love is to draw the sinner near. The picture is the unity of, uh, it, 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 I just, we just need to imagine the picture of unity at the foot of the cross. There is no one, as Matt Chandler says, there's, there's no one who leans on the cross. There is no one who leans on the cross and says, you need to come here. There is, there's no one who, only the arrogant would lean on the cross of Jesus Christ and go, hey, come and come and worship Jesus. Come and worship Jesus. That's not the picture that Christ has for us, but rather everyone kneels at the foot of the cross. Everyone kneels at the foot of the cross and invites others to join in with you. So arrogant and haughty Christians stand self-righteously next to the cross, will push people away. Arrogant and prideful Christians will stand next to Jesus and go, you need to do better. You need to be different. You need to repent. Instead of saying, come, join me. Join me at the foot of the cross. Kneel with me. That's what draws people in. Not the shame of our pride. Not, the, not, not, not us exalting ourselves. The cross demands us all to come and kneel before it. You know, anyone in here, anyone in here that's been a Christian for 20 years and, and still can't get it right? Like, like think about it. Anyone been, been Christian in here for 30 and 40 years and just like, man, there, there hasn't been one day in the last 40 years where I've just been completely free of any sin. 
I've been a Christian for over 20 years, and I still don't have it down. I've been a believer for 20 years since I was a junior in high school, and I still don't have it down. I still can't get it right. But somehow, somehow the church, somehow we as a church, we look at others and, and we shame them for not getting it right. Somehow we as a church, we, we, we shame and we guilt people for not getting it right. We shame and guilt people for their sins. And what happens is that we begin to push them out instead of drawing them in. It's sad because there are people, there are people who are outside the church and inside the church, and probably some of y'all in here. It's sad because there are some, there are people who see the church, and we see, and you see the church as hateful. You see the church as self-righteous. You see the church as a, a, a good at shaming people. Except no Christian has the right to do that. There's no Christian who is perfect. We have no right to, do that, right to do that. But if God bears all things and puts up with all the things that you do, and if God puts up with all the things that you and I do, we in turn must bear with all the things that other people do. So instead of shaming people and pushing, other ways from, and pushing others away from church, and hopefully our love would draw them closer, it would draw them in. Love has the power to draw the sinner near. And Paul has one more thing that, that he wants to see, uh, that the church to see about love, and that's our third point, the permanence of love. The permanence of love. He, Paul, he makes one last argument to show how love is the most excellent way, how, 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 how love is better than spiritual gifts. And like, like um, he, he, he shows how love is, is better than the spiritual gifts that the church is boasting about. And so he points out to the highly, again, he points out to the highly exalted gifts and says they will end. And so if we look at it, right, we look at chapter uh, 13, verse 8. Look at it again, chapter 13, verse 8. He says, love never ends. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass. For we know in part and we prophesy in part but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, when I was, and I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall, then I, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But catch the last thing, but greatest of these is love. So he points, he points to all the spiritual, the highly spiritual things, and he says, they will end. They will pass away. He says, there will be a day when these things no longer exist. There will be a day when these, 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 these gifts, they're no longer needed. And so when is that day? When does this shift happen? It, it happens when the perfect comes, when Jesus comes. So the question, the question I want to lay before you is, what is the point of permanence? Like, what's the point of love having this permanence to it? Spiritual gifts, they, they, they cease to have a purpose when Jesus comes, but love does not pass away. Even hope, even hope and faith, even hope and faith will change at the end, right? Uh, even though they, hope and faith will abide, but it, it will not be the same. It's not the greatest, 
If you think about it, hope passes because what? Hope passes because hope changes because Jesus is the hope realized. Jesus is the, is the better thing to come that we've been longing for and we've been hoping for. Jesus is the hope for all believers and we would have him when the perfect comes. Faith. Faith is, is no longer the same because why? Faith becomes a reality when Jesus comes. We, we don't have to have faith when we're in front of Jesus anymore. We get to see Jesus face to face. Jesus is the object of our faith and we have him. So what we need to see, what we need to see is, is 1 Corinthians 13 is all about Jesus. It's, it's always been about Jesus. It, it, it's all about his love for us. It, it, it's, the same, it's, the same, it's the same picture of his love that he shows us each and every single day. And when we see him face to face, we experience, we experience the fullness of this passage. Like when the perfect comes, we get to see 1 Corinthians 13 in all the fullness of its glory. And it's not that Jesus hasn't fully given, his, given us his love, but it's that we will finally and fully understand it in the end. We will, finally, we will finally and fully understand who Jesus is when he come and we, we come to him face to face. We will fully understand and, and be able to capture him in his glory in the end. When we come to him face to face, we will fully understand the depths of his love on the cross for us when he died for us. This is why love is the greatest of all. This is why Paul says love never ends because when we spend, we, because it will never end because here's the thing, we will spend eternity getting to know his love and it will not disappoint. There, there will not be a day in eternity future where we go, I'm just tired of his love. I, I, I'm tired of experiencing his love. There's no more that I want to experience of Jesus but in eternity, in eternity future will be, I want more of Jesus. It'll be a thousand years from now. You'll be like, I want more of this love. I want more. I cannot have enough of this love. You know what? For another thousand years, we'll be experiencing his love. And for another millennium, we'll be experiencing love. And for an eternity, we will experience the love and still desire more of it and still receive that love. But what does it mean for us now? We don't know the way God loves us like the way we should and we could. We know, we know God's love like a picture on a phone. Right, do you, ever, do you ever go out to take, you go on a vacation, you go, I don't know, just imagine the most scenic place you've ever been in, in, in the world. It might be the beach, it might be the mountains, it might just be the city, city you know, just a, you know, you just see, you know, I, I just remember like standing across uh, Manhattan, you're on the Brooklyn side and you just see this, the, the skyline of New York, right? Like, there's just, just all these different things. I don't know what kind, of person, what kind of person you are. Maybe you like nature. Maybe you like the cities. But whatever it is, don't you try to take a picture with your phone? And it's like, man, that's horrible. And what do you do? Try to back out a little bit. Oh, make it a little bit more of it. You point five it, try to get the wide angle, and maybe some of y'all, y'all got your uh, mirrorless DSLRs, and like, all right, I mean, I'm just gonna, this, this is better than my iPhone, and you try to take a picture, and it's still not the same. 
You try to do whatever. You, you know, we, we do panoramic pictures. All right, my, my wide angle is not, not big enough, so I'm going to panoramic this, right? And you start, and it's like, oh, no, it's just, oh, just a distorted picture. The beauty and majesty of whatever you're looking at can't be captured by a camera. And that's what's going on when Paul says we look at a mirror dimly. And other translations might use the word indirectly. Because Paul says we, we, we see God's love and Jesus' love for us right now as we're looking in a mirror dimly or indirectly. But in the future, we will look at it face to face. Paul's point is because we're not face to face with Jesus right now, we don't get to see the full beauty of it. We don't see the fullness of God and his glory and the love for us. We don't see, the, we don't see even, even though Jesus is the fullness of God, even though Jesus is the fullness of God in flesh, we don't get to see him for what he's done for us. We don't love Jesus the way that we should. We still turn our backs towards Jesus every single day. But we will spend an eternity getting to know how much Jesus did for us on that cross. And so we start now. We start digging deeper now. We start to dig deeper into his love now. And, and the only way, because here's the thing, the only, day, the only way that you and I are going to love the people the way we should is going to be by our understanding of how God has loved, how God has loved us. The only way that we're, we're going to move away from our haughtiness and, and move away from our pride and move away from our spiritual advancement is to, is to move towards God and his love and what he's done for us. And the only way that we're going to love people the way we should and not push them away is to understand how he has drawn us near to himself each and every day, each and every moment. And we start digging deeper now. We understand God's love. But here's the thing. Loving people is not just something that we, need to do, we can do better at and that we can just handle ourselves. Loving ourselves, or loving people is not going to happen by just by our sheer willpower, right? We can't just muster up love inside of us. If anything, there's, there's nothing inside of us that is good. There's nothing inside of us that is loving except for the, for the love that Christ fills and puts within us. There's nothing in us that makes us want to love people outside of knowing how Jesus has loved us. The love of God is a deep well to drink from. The love of God is a deep well for us to just drink and drink and drink from daily and understand daily and understand in every moment and to understand through every judgmental thought that we have, to understand through every, every time we shame some, someone, every time that we, that we, we say hateful things towards someone, every time, every time that we speak down on someone, we drink from the well of God and we see his forgiveness and how much he bears with us. And the love of God is a deep well we drink from to be enjoyed forever and ever and ever. So your love for God can only continue to grow. 
Your love for God can only continue to grow, and, and, your love, and as your love for God grows, your love for people will grow. It's what causes us. It's, it's what's going to cause us to build up others around us. And it's going to cause us, as we drink from this deep well of God, the deep well from God, it's going to cause us to go, hey, 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 come drink from this well. Come be satisfied from this well. Come be, and feel God's love. The deep well of God's love pushes us to live with love and to turn to build up the church around us. Let's pray. God, it is, we thank you for forgiving us every single moment of our lives. And so God, I pray that you give us hearts to understand, that you will give us hearts to know how much you have loved us. And then in turn, that we would love people around us. And in turn, that we would understand that it is your love that makes a difference in the lives around us, in the church around us. So when may we boast, may we boast in your love. May we not boast in ourselves, but we boast of the cross. May we boast of the work of Jesus Christ. And may we boast in the love of Christ. And may we boast in the glory of Christ. Jesus, it's in your name we pray.